0: You take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. I'm not a person who likes uh, going to art museums. I know some of you are ones that like going to art museums and you do this and i have still yet to go to the art institute of chicago i have lived here all of my life i know there's a painting there uh i think whistler's mother is there or something and and then there is the uh, famous american gothic i think that is there i have never been there uh it's just not me and you say why well typically it's because of paintings like that See, it's, it's things like that that kind of make me go, okay, people are willing to pay a huge sum of money and study that type of thing, and I think about this, and I go, I could come up with something like this. You know, why am I going to study this? I could have done this by taking a few paint cans and kicking them around my garage and, and coming up with something like that. And, and the humor of it, as I was reading some articles even about this 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 past week, is that when they have people come and look at these, they sometimes will ask art students, were these done by a famous artist, a child, or even an animal? About 50% of the time, the art students can get it right, which is an indicator of what the quality is. Now, this artist is kind of famous. Let me show you another painting of this artist. There's another one there and uh it is uh, one that uh has been sold and and uh yeah people have bought it but uh you look in the corner and the you know i i just uh, look at this and the name that is signed there is one and you can barely see it pockets warhol that's the artist's name now, there is artists that are doing things out there. You know, they got one that's called Banksy right now, that he goes out and he paints things in different locations. And people are like, oh, look, this is worth, you know, millions of dollars. And he had something where recently he had the painting and it shredded itself after someone bought it. And it's, it's that type of thing. You know, this, this painter here, Pockets Warhol, you go, okay, well, you know, he painted this. You want to see a picture of Pockets? There you go. That's the painter of that painting, Pockets Warhol. Not up there. It's still communicating. It's back there. It's not up front. Well, he's a Capuchin monkey. Uh, he was born back in the early 1900, or 1990s, and uh, when he uh, was old enough, there we go. Is that giving it? Nope, still not coming through. But anyhow, he painted, and as he was painting... Uh, well, he, he was in a house, and I'll go back, he was uh, owned by somebody in their private home for about 20 years, and his uh, owners finally figured out they couldn't take care of them anymore, and so they looked for some place to take care of it, and they found some place in Toronto, Canada, and as uh, they were there in Toronto, Canada, uh, they kind of liked his hair. He looked like uh, the white hair of Andy Warhol who was famous for his paintings and so they called him Warhol and then they handed him just a set of kids' paint brushes. And uh, he just kind of started scratching out stuff and the painting that you can't see. Somehow we've lost communication with the front but we will go You want to click back there and black it out because it's not doing anything not communicating well you may we may spend the whole service looking at that so (laughs) it's really going to be an entertaining time if that's the case but anyhow uh he started painting all of this and people started actually looking at his paintings he came up with 40 paintings and they decided that they were going to run an art show for him And pretty soon what happened in the art show, that people were buying these paintings for $300, $400. In fact, they finally had an art show where they had real people coming and they were donating their paintings for Pockets Warhol to actually, and this is the term they used for it, to enhance. To make their painting better. Which says something about the painting itself. So what you have is what we have on this screen, to me, is what you would describe as pure chaos. You know what's chaos? Chaos uh, is defined by the Webster's Dictionary as just a state of utter confusion or a confused mass or mixture. It, it has no form or shape. You really can't define what it is. It's just there and it's, you're trying to go, I can't define what's going on here. And what you have in Genesis chapter 1 is what God is declaring there is chaos in the universe because there's no form, shape, or uh, anything to define it by. And what God is able to do with that chaos is to give us something that is an orderly and blessed creation. What you have in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 uh, right on to chapter 2, that we read already, is that you simply have this idea. I mean, if you can walk away with one idea out of Genesis chapter 1, it's this that God, by his word, took chaos and changed it into an orderly and blessed creation something with no shape no form no nothing developed about it and god was able to then do that see when you look at uh, the beginning of the story last week we looked at genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and earth and we talked about the fact that god created everything that's what you should walk away with uh out of uh this passage but you see in uh, verse 2 it says this and the earth was without form and void that is the terminology to start off all of creation as we know it. That's what it's like. You say, what does it mean, uh, this uh, Hebrew phrase, tohu wobohu? What does it mean, this idea? Well, it's just simply describing something that's unformed and unfilled. Uh, that it's waste and void. Uh, these words were used to describe in other places of the Scripture, deserts. Or cities that were completely leveled by uh, another nation and set to fire. Uh, it was these type of terms that were used to describe what the beginning creation was. Emptiness. No organization. Nothing. Now, there are some that uh, would take this term, and and perhaps you've got a a Bible that has this in there, if you've got a Schofield Bible. uh, What is suggested by that term, tohu wabohu, or without form and void, what Schofield suggested was this, is that there was something bad that happened. God destroyed creation. That's why it was without form and void. And what we have here is a story of God taking that material and making it new. And that's not what's going on here. That theory was known as the gap theory, and for years there were people suggesting that this is why the universe looked like it was old, and it was uh, in that way that it was uh, something that as you looked at creation, that it was, well, as evolutionists said, that it was well millennium upon millennium upon millions of years upon billions of years and he kind of was caving to that and said well maybe god had to destroy the the creation that he originally made you go why is that because we don't quite know when satan fell okay some have suggested the fact as you look at the book of job that the angels were there when god created the world so when were the angels created Not specifically told, but somewhere along the line, we know that Satan fell because by Genesis chapter 3, we've got Satan tempting Adam and Eve. But nowhere as you go through the scripture do you have any indication that God created uh, something, had to judge and destroy it, and then recreated it. This term, without form and void, as we'll see as we go along, if the slides actually work, but they probably won't. But what we'll see is that that's the setup statement for the rest of the creation story here. The idea that things are without form, without shape, and that they're void, that it's empty, that there's no life going on. What God's going to do with a universe that has nothing going on, nothing there, he's suddenly going to give it shape and he's going to fill it with energy, life, things going on. And so as we start off here, there's an absence of life or the ability even for life. And so you have this chaos that starts here, that the earth was without form and void. But at the beginning, you also see this in verse 2. It says this, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. There's this darkness that's there, and all of this is going on. And then it says the Spirit is there moving. It's hovering is the idea over creation, What you find as you read through the rest of Scripture that the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all involved in creation. It's not accidental. It's part of the plan of God that what happens here with the universe that's created, God has a part in it. Some have said this, that God the Father was the one who planned for this, planned for creation. As you think about God the Son, uh, He is described as the one who kind of affected this. He's the one who put the plan into action. Say, how do you know that? John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, sounds like the book of Genesis, but it says there, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus, the Son. And it makes a statement, the Word was with God and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. He's the one that carries out the actual construction of this project. And without him was uh, not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Or you read in Colossians 1, as we looked on Wednesday night, it makes this statement about uh, Jesus, the Son. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible or invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And here you have, in this passage, right from the start, God the Holy Spirit. That he is playing a role in creation, and what some have suggested about this, he's the one who just kind of helps all of it stay together. He's the one that completes it, takes care of it. And in this part, he's just kind of hovering over the product, but he's making sure things are getting taken care of when it comes to creation. And so as you look at this chaos, in the midst of this chaos, as God steps in, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, take an interest in creation and take part in creation. See, as you read through the story, and as we read through it this morning, and you kind of get the details, and some of these things are rather familiar to you, what you find is this, is that there is an orderliness in creation. It's a reflection of what God's like. I means you read through each day you kind of get this idea that you have this statement where there's an announcement that takes place and god said and then there's a commandment let there and it's actually playing on the name of god uh jehovah god that word there, let there be and the idea of be is the same uh word that is used uh, in god's name jehovah as you look in your bible's capital l-o-r-d that's god's name i am And even in this, you have let there be, and there was. And you have a separation. Uh, Oftentimes, as you look, that day was separated from night, water was separated from other water, land from, and you have this separation that takes place in each one of the days. A report was made. So God made these things. And then, as you look at the story, there's an evaluation. It was good read each one of these it's good it's good it's good and then you get to the end and it says evening and morning were the whatever day it was in the story itself it's very organized but more so as you look at this you find out and i do have to deal with this orderliness of creation that this was a 24-hour time period Because when people come to this passage of scripture, they do kind of go, well, you know, we have science today, which, okay, science, you have to put that in quotes oftentimes nowadays. But science says that the earth and the universe that we have is at least 13.5 billion years, perhaps 14 billion years. And of course, you know, they're guessing at this number. But they're guessing at these numbers, and what happens is this, is that people, when they read their Bible, go, the story's so simplistic here. How did you get the earth looking like it had so much age? It must be that there was really long periods of time. Perhaps the the days that are mentioned here during creation aren't just what we would call a 24-year-hour time period. Perhaps it was thousands of years. just generically using this term day for us to kind of understand things better but it took thousands and thousands of years to do this and i have to at least start with this uh, fact: do you think that god created adam and eve as a baby did he create them with age the answer is absolutely you read the story it's obvious that that's the case so could god create a world that looks like it's aged the Answer is absolutely in fact one has said this uh, god did not need six days for creation he could have done it in six seconds but what god did is that he for his people for generations to come to understand certain things he did it in this order six days and then a day of rest but he did this in a 24-hour time period you go why i'm going to give you a couple of things if you have individuals that go you know what that day and the 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 story of genesis is referring to something that's thousands and thousands upon millions of years it's each day was like that i'm just going to give you a couple of things here to go okay it's a 24-hour time period okay I mean, first of all, when you have any time the word day used in the scripture and it has a number attached to it, so like first day, second day, or the fourth day, or whatever, it's always talking about everywhere else in the Old Testament, a 24-hour time period. Okay, when it's attached to a number, so when it's the first day or the third day or the fifth day, it's talking about a 24-hour time period. And realize this, Moses is writing this for a group of people who are understanding at that point that time is a 24-hour event. They would read this and and come to this. So you say, okay, that's one thing. Second of all, realize this, that when you read through the rest of uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law written by Moses or the Pentateuch taught that the Sabbath uh, was well six days you had creation and then you had the sabbath day and the seventh day the idea of the pattern here is what the nation of israel and you find many cultures going to a seven-day week they just went with this they understood 24-hour time period monday we say it for us monday tuesday wednesday thursday friday saturday and sunday now, for them, the Sabbath day was Saturday. We'll explain that a little bit more. But they would have understood this. When you look at the third day, uh, or is it thirdly, when you look at the fourth day, it talks about the sun, moon, and stars. And it says that these things were given uh, for days and years, for signs and seasons. I mean, by the fourth day of creation, God says these things are set up so that they'll run, that they can give us days, give weeks seasons and even be signs it'll be in the right place all the time that's what it means that it can give directions the stars the sky or the sun or the moon could give directions to individuals but the real clicker on all of this is this statement when it says evening and morning the first day for the jews understand their culture works this way If you go over to Israel, we were there. We were there on a Friday into a Saturday. They had their Shabbat or their Sabbath day. And their Sabbath day starts when in Jewish culture? Six o'clock at night. Their day starts at six at night. And then it goes into the day and the whole light of that day counts as one 24-hour time period. But the Jews, in their understanding would describe a day this way evening and morning first day evening and morning second day evening and morning third day for jews reading this they would say okay there's no hidden meaning here what we have here is six days 24 hour time period where god created something on each one of those days And so you have an order here. One day, God creates something. Then this next day comes along, God creates something. Then this third day comes along, God creates something else. And there's all the complications that if you did have millions and millions of years and you had some of these things created, there would be things that wouldn't happen. There are certain processes that wouldn't be able to take place if that was the case. No, it had to be instantaneously, day after day, that these things were all created in order in a 24-hour time period. There's an orderliness about this. But as you go and think about what the Scripture actually then organizes here, what you find out, and we can't show you visually because we still have chaos up there, is that the Scripture here organizes and answers what it says in verse number 2, That the world or the universe as we know it was without form and void. Without form has this idea that it has no shape. And then void is that it's empty. And so what you look at in the first three days of creation is God gives form. Okay, he's answering that first thing. It's without form. So he's giving form. So what does he do on the first day? He gives uh, light and darkness. On the second day, he's then saying, okay, let me divide out what we have as this earth here, this body of water separating from a body of water, and you go, what's that word firmament means? It's the idea that you have this water here below that we would normally call seas, and this firmament, the atmosphere that we are familiar with, God separates this out and has sky and sea. And then you get to the third day, and what God does is that he then says, okay, let's give something different to what the sea is. He brings it forth dry land upon uh, the earth, and he brings forth vegetation. So now you have this universe that's got shape. Okay, you got the sky, and you got the sea. Now you got dry land, and now you've got plants and vegetation that's being grown here. God has given form to what was once formless but what do you have and it's parallel as you look at day one two and three you go to day four five and six god now in in place of light and darkness he creates sun moon and stars and you say well what does that do well now you have activity because those things are moving the sun moves from our perspective across the sky Uh, you look at the planets and the galaxies and they're all moving and there's this life, this energy that's starting to take place. You now that have something that's there. You now have different things. And as they are, as we talked about last week with the James Webb Space Telescope, and they're sending, uh, they're looking at images uh, that are millions of light years away now. They're able to see this. They're finding all sorts of galaxies of all different shapes and sizes, and they're just looking at this and going, this is incredible. It's not plain and boring. They are being amazed by the things that they're seeing and the stars they're seeing, and they're going, This is incredible. There's stuff all over the place that's taking our attention. Well, that's what God does, adding the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, and then on day four, excuse me, day five, you have this uh, that goes on that God uh, puts the fish and the fowl in he puts stuff in the sea and as you talk about people who are, are studying the sea they're still finding stuff in the sea every time they go down to the bottom of the ocean usually they're going oh there's a new creature here there's another one and they go and they go everywhere and they're finding in the deepest abysses of the ocean that they're finding life there things going on moving around there's life there's energy that's taking place and you look at the sky above us and there's all sorts of things in the sky above us that are going back and forth and fill our days with noise and sound and activity that we can just look in the sky and see this taking place and then you have day number six that parallels day number three where now you have this vegetation that's there you have to have stuff in the vegetation and so god creates the animals Some of them climbing in those trees and some of them just enjoying the plains and the vegetation that's created there. And you have all this activity and then God creates human beings. See, what God's doing is he goes, okay, I'm going to give this emptiness, no shape, no nothing going on, this chaos that's there. I'm going to suddenly give it shape. Now I'm giving it fullness. I'm filling it. I'm giving it life. And so as you look at this story, you find out that God does things decently and in order. 1 corinthians uh, chapter uh, 14 tells us that's what our god is like that's why our services in many ways ought to reflect that because god does things decently in order you can see it in creation god did things orderly it's not haphazard as you read some of the accounts of ancient cultures as they read through and they try and describe what happened to creation and even in the creation story there's complete chaos that goes on confusion and and uh things that are going on where you read this you're going okay god's a god who does things decently and in order there's an order about this creation and it, it is as you read through it And we're not going to talk about every detail of everything that grows here but it is interesting to know with what god creates on the very first day what does he create light you go, why is that? Well, think about the description of what God is light. God is light. That is how he's defined. He's defined that he is love uh, in one passage, that God is love, but he is light. His character is reflected by this. And as you see at different times when God appears to men uh, and shows forth his glory, there's this brightness, this light that's there that is reflecting what his character is like and the very first thing that god puts into this universe is to insert this light that is a reflection of what he is like the universe starts with god and the first thing created in this universe is light which is a reflection of god's character who he is and as you look at this that you have this darkness now this is a thing that's going to play out throughout the scriptures say what's darkness darkness is stuff that brings no life no light no energy and there's going to be this separation as you go through this as god as he starts this story he creates this light but then he divides the light and the darkness and it just pictures the fact that what's going to happen is that people that are followers of god are going to do what they're going to walk in the light they're not going to walk in darkness we looked at this a couple weeks ago in john chapter three those that don't know god are walking in darkness they don't like the light why because they like their darkness you read through the scripture 2 corinthians chapter four the apostle paul talking about uh what happens when the gospel or the good news of jesus christ who is described in john chapter one as light and life when he comes into the world and this gospel is given that there's a response to the world we live in, but if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, talking about the devil, hath blinded the minds of which them, uh, minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is uh, the image of God, should shine into us. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus our Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. But then this statement, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, right from the start, God says, okay, I've created light. It's a reflection of who I am. But what you're going to find is that there's going to be darkness, spiritual darkness in this world when God enters into this world darkness that doesn't want to be a part of god and god says there's a difference in fact as you think about when the apostle paul talks about the individuals that are in the church that are followers of god and he makes this question because some of them are going out and living their life like the world is it's living in darkness and he says what fellowship hath what light with darkness you go why is that because light is a reflection of what god's like For us to live uh, our life differently uh, and to live in darkness is not a reflection of what God is like. And so right from the start, you see that God is light. And he's just adding this element. This is me right from the start. Light. And so God, even in this, uh, shows this forth. As you go through, you've already noted this, that as you read the story that everywhere you turn it says it was good now the question comes was it evil now why did god have to keep saying that it was good was there some evil before this that god was uh, trying to correct the answer is no that's not what this word good means when you think about this word good and when it's used in our bibles it's used to example something or examples of things that are happy beneficial that are beautiful they're morally righteous preferable superior quality or of ultimate value when when you have god saying it was good what he's saying is this a it's beautiful b it's beneficial because as you go through this god is finally by the time you get to the last element with humanity everything is there that human beings are going to need who are the reflection of god they've got everything and when you get to humanity, well, how does God describe the, the creation of humanity? He describes it this way, that it was very good. That he's finally gotten everything that he needs for these individuals, human, human beings, humanity. He's got everything in place for them. It's ready for them to enjoy this universe that he has created. It's set and it was beautiful and it was good but really what you have here is that he's going along this is good this is good this is good and you finally have the complete accumulation of this that everything is needed and it's the high point when you get to humanity that it's very good god's got everything taken care of he's got it set just the way he wants this is good this is perfect as you might say and as you see in chapter two as we look at it next week that everything about that universe that god created was perfect everything about it we said that, that god said when it he goes through all that is good that he gets to the point the high point of creation is the creation of human beings And you think about creation and the, the living things that are there well a lot of them have restrictions when you think about the the fish and the fowl well they're kind of restricted to certain areas fish typically are in water uh birds are typically in the air they're kind of limited as to where they can go animals are kind of limited as to where they can go but when you think about human beings they're free to go wherever on this globe can they get into the sky yeah we can can we go underwater yeah fire ingenuity we can do all of these things. Where, where you get to humanity, it's not that you have some other creature like all the rest of them. No, there is a difference in this. Because when the story stops with humanity uh, and starts talking about their creation, it's completely different than the rest of creation. In fact, when you get to Genesis 2 next week, we're going to talk about more specifically how God formed uh, mankind. But you get to this story and you start talking about this in verse number 26. And it says this, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay. God doesn't say that about any of the rest of creation. He's not saying this is is who I am exactly, that this is what I'm like. No, what he says is that this, what I'm creating, is a reflection of who I am. Now, understand when it says the image of God, it's not saying that they are God. an image is a a, as you think about this is, is times used to describe a statue or uh in some cases an idol or those type of things as you read through the bible it's not the item itself it's a reflection of what that item looks like and you get the understanding as it talks about in verse number 26 there that it says let us make man in our image after our likeness okay not Exactly like us, but similar to us. Now, the question uh, that some of you in reading that statement say will have this. What does it mean when God says, Let us make man in our image? Let us. Now, who's God talking to there? And there's two suggestions here that God is talking to the angels and saying, Let us, you know me myself uh, as uh, the God make, but more than likely what we have here is a discussion between the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. let us make man in our image and in our likeness this is the first hinting we have kind of had it with the spirit of god and god the father creating but here you have this statement let us make man in our image now how is mankind like god just a few suggestions here as we go through but reflectively what you're going to find is that mankind is going to be like god because of mankind's purpose on this earth I mean, look at what god says let us make man our image after our likeness let them have dominion or rulership over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air over the cattle over the earth over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth See, God rules over the whole of the universe because he's the creator. But what does God do with humanity? He says, I am giving you rulership and responsibility for this world, this globe, where you have the fish and the fowl and the animals and all of these things that are here, that mankind's responsible for it. Mankind is reflecting the rulership of God." Over the whole of the universe, God's given mankind responsibility here on this globe as a reflection of God's character. And that might be what it might be saying there when it talks about we being created in the image of God. We are, in some ways, uh, given characteristics to reflect what God is like. We have ears and nose and eyes and that type of thing, but that's not that God has that because God's a spirit he's not made up of matter like we are but we do understand what god is like when we talk about god's arm is doing something or god's eyes are seeing certain things we understand sort of what god is doing because we can go okay we have those i can kind of understand what god is doing when it says that he sees his arms doing certain things but sometimes as you look at the scripture you find that when it comes to us being created in the image of god it can be used to describe the fact in ephesians chapter 4 and colossians chapter 3 it talks about the fact that we're created in god's righteousness and holiness that we are designed to reflect what god is like who he is his characteristic we do have will and emotion and reasoning and a conscience and all of these things, which are what God has, and that puts us over the animals that we have these abilities to be able to do these things. But we, and, and think about this when you have this statement here in uh, chapter uh, 27, or, or verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay. Male and female are a reflection of the image of God. Okay, they can reflect this, and as you look at the New Testament, it makes very clear that when it comes to the gospel, that both men and women are all one. Galatians chapter three and verse twenty-eight, that they're heirs together. First Peter chapter three and verse seven, that they are in equal standing. Now, they do have different responsibilities God gives, but when it comes to their standing as far as a human being and their standing as a reflection of the image of God, they're equal. And so when God creates mankind, his purpose for them is to rule over the earth and to do what God did When he created all the animals, the birds, the fish, the fowl, and everything else, what mankind's supposed to do is to populate the earth. To fill it up with people. Those are two responsibilities. That they are to rule and to populate, to procreate. To go across the face of the earth and fill it. Just like God took the void of creation and filled it. I mean, we go through all these stories and God created all of these things and we are reminded of last week as we look at these things that God created everything, that they're not worthy of worship. We don't worship the sun. We don't worship the moon. We don't worship the stars. We don't worship animals. We don't worship any of those things. You go, why? Because God created them all. He created the oceans. He created the rivers. He created all of these things. We don't worship those things because they're created but what you find in the end of this story is what god wants us to really stop and consider It's where the whole story is working towards in fact it's different than the rest of the story you have these six days where all this creation stuff is going on and then all of a sudden there's this seventh day it's not set up with the same pattern as everything else has gone on already it's different you look at verse uh, chapter 2 and verse number 1 it says this and thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God ended his work which he hath made and he rested uh, on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it that in he rested from all his work which God created and made now I Want us to make sure that we understand what it means when God stopped, or God ceased, or God stopped work is he stopped here. He rested. It's not that God stops doing anything. It's uh, as one to put it this way: that the Sabbath refers more to just ceasing, or more to ceasing than resting it describes the enjoyment of accomplishment the celebration of completion what we have here is that the shabbat or the sabbath is a ceasing from labors it's done we've had six days everything's been accomplished in that while we cease from that and we do something different Okay, it's not that we stop doing any kind of activity. There's something different that's going on here. It's more of this, a celebration of the fact that the work is done. The accomplishment is done. See, what God does in the seventh day is he sets apart this seventh day, and it's very important for him, and as you think through, the number seven is the number of God. It's the number of completion. And what God does on the seventh day is that he sets it aside, He says, what I want you to do is that you, as rulers on the earth, that you do work six days a week. But on that seventh day, I want you to do something different where you're celebrating what God has accomplished, but also what you've been able to accomplish, that you enjoy that. That you're satisfied with this. And for the nation of Israel that was reading this uh, on the boundaries of the promised land, what they had been already told by God in one of the uh, Ten Commandments, that they were to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, what it was to be a reminder of is that God accomplished something great. He gave you everything. He gave you life. He gave you everything that you need for life and godliness. And what we have is that those six days, you're accomplishing things as a reflection of God. But on that seventh day, what you do is you think about that God who's given you all of that. That he has given you these things, the ability to be able to work, the responsibility, and that you just simply enjoy and rejoice in what God has given to you in creation. And this is the pattern God set. It allowed the nation of Israel to stop their working and to just reflect on all the blessing. Okay? When you get done with creation, is this a blessed thing that God's given us, the creation? Absolutely. But sometimes we don't remember that because we're so focused on getting things done and we forget to stop and look at what has been given to us. And what God did by having this six-day work schedule reflect the character of God by doing work, but there is a seventh day where you reflect and it says it's sanctified this day it's set apart it's made holy it's made different than the rest you go why because it's a day for us to go okay this is what god's given us isn't it great isn't it wonderful those things that he's given to us the abundance of life and all the production and all the goods that he's given to us these things are worthy of rejoicing you find when the nation of israel stopped celebrating the Sabbath when they started going off in their own directions and doing their own things, because they were not taking the time to reflect on God and what he's done. And so this is really where Moses is trying to get to. He's saying, we have six days where we're going to work. We have a seventh day, but it's a day that's supposed to be completely different. You go, what for? Are we just supposed to not do anything, sit around, sleep all afternoon, sleep all day, do nothing because it's a day of rest? No, it's your ceasing from the activities you normally do those six days. And there may be activity that's different, and it's activity that's, well, hopefully got some part of worshiping and celebrating and praising God for what he's given. Now, I want to go and shift here for a second very quickly because it's really an application for us in, in New Testament times. When you get to the New Testament, you find that as you get to the epistles and letters of paul he's not saying this you need to celebrate the sabbath day in fact as you go through uh the epistles they talk about all the other commandments of the ten commandments but they don't talk about remember the sabbath day to keep it holy you go why is that Well, as you read through Acts and you begin to read the writings of these epistles that the church is gathering and they're meeting on something called what? How did they describe it? Anybody remember? The Lord's Day. You go, what's the Lord's Day? Well, Paul gives us very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 that the Lord's Day was the first day of the week. Well, what was the first day of the week? Not Monday. Okay, it was Sunday. And you say, well, why did they celebrate Sunday? Because God had done his second great work in humanity. And you go, what's that? Salvation. God created this work and uh, this world and people were supposed to recognize this is the God who's done these things and there was this focus that was on him that was on the Sabbath day but when you get to the point where Jesus comes into this world and he dies on the cross because people had sinned they had marred the creation they had failed to do what God had commanded them to do they needed rescue that God sent his son in this world and that he died on a cross and then he rose again the third day. He rose on a Sunday. And what the the church then celebrated was this, is that there was now what? The ability to be saved and right with God, to fellowship with him. He created us to fellowship with him. We walked away from him. God sends his son. He brings salvation. And think about this, when you talk about salvation, how how is it described? When a person gets saved, it talks about this. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, or the idea is creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. See, when a person gets saved, there's a new creation that takes place. Okay? God now does a new work in you to save you, to change you. As the Bible talks about it, being born again or being regenerated, he saves you. And what you now are is a new creature, fit to fellowship with God, to be able to worship him and be with him for eternity. God does this great new work. And so what we do now in New Testament times is that we don't celebrate the Sabbath. We now celebrate salvation the salvation that we have in a raised and resurrected Christ, that we have newness of life, that we have life that is eternal, that's been given to us, and it's because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so for us, as we look at this and we go, okay, why don't we meet on Saturdays? Because we are looking at it from a New Testament perspective. Christ came into the world to fix everything that mankind messed up. We're going to read this in Genesis 3 where mankind messes up and the rest of the Old Testament is God getting people prepared for his son to come into the world to give them salvation. For those that had run and wandered from God, God's going to bring salvation in his son. And that's the the first great point in human history everything's created the second great point in human, human history that christ came into the world died and rose again to give life eternal that's the second major event in human history and that's what we look back on now is that we celebrate the fact that we have been made right with god that jesus the first or the second adam came and fixed what the first adam hadn't done right and that he dies to give us life eternal and so for us, just kind of going through the story of creation as we've gone through the details of it here today, and there's a lot of them, we ought to, first of all, praise God for his creation. It's not that we get to the New Testament we're just like, ah, who cares? You know, we got salvation now. No, you read through. I mean, we sang the, the words of immortal, invisible, God-only wise. You know where that's from? New Testament that new testament people just didn't forget that god was the creator and these things no they thanked him for that but they had we might say this bonus material bonus things greater things to even praise god for and that was salvation and as we look at the world that we have opportunity to see these new galaxies that they're seeing and we're able to focus in on the smallest cells of the body it is god who did all these things and he did them decently and in an order in your body, even though you times go, I visit the doctor far too often. Your body is a wonderful, amazing thing of order. Because if anything was to go completely out of balance, you would be done. But God created us in a way that our body would balance out. And you look at the universe that we're in uh, and everything runs by these laws and these rules and it functions and you just go, this is incredible. This world, even though it's got all sorts of incredible things, it runs orderly. It's constructed in such a way that you're going, okay, this universe was created by a God of order. We ought to praise him for that. We've done that this morning in the service, but it ought to be as we go throughout the week that we're seeing this. With our eyes as we see the sky and we see the the vast fields, not many mountains around here, but uh, we see all these other things that we can just go, wow, God's a great God. Look at what he's done. These animals that he's created and people too. What an incredible God. But hopefully you can say and the second thing that you can praise God for his salvation. That God in his plan, as you read the scripture from before the foundation of the world, plan for his son to come into this world to die in your place because you're a sinner wandering from god you do your own thing but god has done this hopefully you have the ability to praise god for his salvation that jesus loved you enough to die in your place and hopefully you've experienced that new creation old things passed away behold all things become new and that you've got reason to praise God for that uh, that's the greatest thing that you could do today not just merely praise God for creation there's a lot of people that praise God for creation but they've never praised God for his salvation they've never come to know his son but maybe today you've come in today and you say well I'm thankful for what we've got but no do you have salvation in Jesus Christ that's the most important thing to praise God for if you don't know your, the son as your savior you could today call upon him in your sin and go i have no hope of pleasing god jesus christ came to this world and what the scripture promises that you will be saved you will be a new creature if you just call upon the savior hopefully you've done that lord we thank you we look at creation and the order that you have it is amazing that uh, you were able to take the chaos in our world in our universe that there was nothing shaped or formed there was nothing there and that you gave it shape and then you filled it with energy things going on just the beauty of that and every day we experience that as we look at your creation and what you're doing uh, all the things that we could praise you for but Lord we are thankful today and many in this room are thankful for that second work of salvation of Christ coming in this world and that there are individuals in this room by faith that have put the, they've put in Jesus Christ have come to know Jesus as their Savior and experienced the new creation, the new work. That you can take sinful individuals who brought chaos into their life. They went their own way. And what you can do is take an individual like that when they come in faith to you and make them new. To bring order. To set things right. That you've got that ability. And so Lord, there's many in this room that experience that, but there may be some here that haven't experienced that. May they put their faith in Christ and, and enjoy that second work of creation and salvation of you creating a new individual. We love you, Lord. Thank you for all the good things. The bounty you've given to us. We're undeserving. It's of your grace and your mercy that you've done it. And we praise you in your son's name.